0: All right, so I have been. Uh, we've been doing a series for the last. This is the sixth week of a series we've called um, "Wisdom and Power." So um, at DCF we do a lot of series. If you've been around for a while, you figured this out. And part of the reason why we do series is we build on certain concepts. And so we're we're, we're trying to, uh, if you'll picture it visually, it's like there's a um, there's a place up here of culture and values, shared values that we're trying to get to, a shared shared set of values. And we have to build up the hill to get us all there as a church. And some of that is preaching into it and, you know, doctrinal and theology and understanding and concepts and ideas. And, of course, foundations from Scripture, we're doing all those things. Um, But I don't often go more than four weeks because, you know, at some point you're like, you know, I love Jesus, but if I hear you say Jesus one more time, no, I'm just kidding. I know you're not that bad, but, but you know, at some point you're like, can we, can we talk about grace or something, Dave? I've had enough of this, right? And, so, and we do that because we're all nat- the natural rhythms of life, life. That's why God gave us, you know, he gave us seasons. Well, not in Dothan. We have, you know, summer and, you know, whatever winter looks like that's, you know, harder summer. Right? So, But other places you have seasons and you go through these and, you're, and you know, at some point winter is over and you're like, I'm so ready for spring, I can't stand it. And you get into summer and you're like, I love summer. And then at the end of summer, you're like, I hate summer and I'm ready to move on. Not you, summer. I'm talking about, <laughs> talking about the season, not the person. So, so we all get that, that, that we go through rhythms of this. And so as we preach into this, I don't stay on this, uh, on, a, on a particular topic for very long, usually. But we've, we've gone into this for about six weeks. And so I'm not sure if there's maybe one more. We'll see where we get to with this. Um, but there's a reason for this because God is trying to bring us as a church into something new. Okay, It's not like any of these concepts, most of these concepts are new to any of us. But the challenge we see is that, that if we're not walking in it and living in it as a culture, as a whole, as a church, and just a few of us have it, then we don't have it. You might have it, but we don't have it. So somebody asked me the other day, that they said, uh, you know, you've been preaching into this kind of thing for a long, long time. He, he'd been around for a long time at DCF. And he goes, and I, I know you, you know this, right? So, but you keep preaching it. Why are you doing that? And I'm like, well, if you would get it. No, I'm just, I didn't say Because <laughs> he, he actually has it. So I said, well, part of that is that, that if you get it and you're going, I wonder why Dave keeps preaching into this if I get it personally. The answer is we don't get it corporately, right? And even if we get it corporately, then part of us getting corporately as a church, a local church, is to take it into the kingdom at large with other believers, but also to take it into the earth. The whole reason we exist as a church is a light in darkness, right? And so all of this is about... God moving in your life, which is awesome and I love it. And every single week we come together and oftentimes during the week we're ministering to people all the time. And I would imagine you're probably doing something similar. And if not, you know, grow into that. But, but at some point, if we're not taking this into the world and, and reaching people who don't know Jesus... Then you know we're just in a big Jesus club and that's awesome. But isn't that kind of what heaven is? I mean, if it if it was just about the people who already know Jesus, wouldn't Jesus say, okay, we're done, let's all go to heaven, and anybody who hasn't doesn't get to. But he sends us on a mission, like Karen said with our kids, a royal mission, to do what? To, you know, the Bible says that we have been reconciled. Jesus did something in us, and, and he's building something in us, an understanding of his mercy and his grace and his goodness and who he is. Why? So we can get it. Yeah, of course. So we can walk in the power of sons and daughters. And we can live out the inheritance that Jesus has for us in this life, and it's wonderful. You know, healing, the Bible says it's bread for the children. Jesus wants to heal people. We get that. Jesus wants to break through, break addictions in people's lives. We get all that. But when he's done that for us, he's not finished. And the reason why I know is you're still here, <laughs> right? So then what's it all for? And the answer is, we've been reconciled so that we can reconcile. Anybody ever heard the phrase, uh, hurt people hurt people? Or hurting people hurt people? Well, What do whole people do? Make people whole, right? And so the whole idea is, is as we gather this as a culture, as a church, as a local church, that this becomes who we are known for. One of the promises over us as a church is that we would be known not just for ministry, but the quality of our ministry. And part of that is, we're, we're going to go after what Scripture says, and it's going to challenge us sometimes, um, academically, we're going to, you know, intellectually, are going to go, oh, that's hard to wrap my head around, and so I need to work on that, right? That's great. But at some point, if you're not doing it, you didn't get it. So Jesus, uh, the Bible talks about Luke, when he starts talking about the story of Jesus, he said, this is what Jesus both began to say and do, to teach and and to do, and so there's, a, there's what, who Jesus is to us, but then there's something that begins to happen in our lives as an action that we begin to live out the ramifications of who Jesus is in our lives. Does that make sense? And so this is one of those pivotal moments in our church, in our history, that God's saying, hey, some of us get this, most of us get this maybe even. But some of us are, we say we have it, but we're actually not living it. And God wants to challenge us to move from this place of intellectual understanding or intellectual assent. To actually begin to live out the life that Jesus brings to us. So, you know, the whole idea is that discipleship looks like something and it looks like Jesus. So what did Jesus say? We should say that, right? What did Jesus do? Should we do that? That's a good question. So I want to do three things this morning. I'm going to tell you up front so you know when the end is coming. Probably around 2, 3 o'clock. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, that's not funny, Dave. You've done that. So, three things, all I'm going to do this morning. One is I want to talk about how Jesus operated in power and wisdom. What it looked like when he did what he did. Number two, I want to show you that Jesus operated in the supernatural, operated in power and wisdom, through the Holy Spirit, not his divine nature. Now, for some of you guys, that's new. And so, that might be a little bit challenging, but we're going to get into it. And then lastly, I'm going to show that because Jesus operated in the supernatural through the Holy Spirit, through his natural humanity, in conjunction with the power of the Holy Spirit working in his life, right? that he also expects us to operate in the same exact way. So, I might be biting off more than I can chew, and that's okay. We've gone six weeks, what's what's six more weeks, right? Just... (laughs) Preach through the holidays into January, like, dear God, Dave, we got it, we got it. So I want to talk about something in theology called the hypostatic union first. And I'm going to, I want to build a case for the deity of Christ. And so if, if you're wondering what that meant, um, hypostatic union is a theological understanding of the fact that Jesus, you know, there was a big debate in the fifth uh, century about is Jesus God or is he man? And the answer was Yes but they didn't know how. And so they would say things like, well, Jesus you know, Jesus had a human nature, but the human nature was put aside and he walked among us as a God, right? Or vice versa, that he, he humbled himself. We're going to read this in, in Philippians in a minute. But he humbled himself um, and, and he let go of the things that you know, made him God and he was just a human man. And so that's the way he was able to pay for our sins. And so the challenge with that is that can be a bit complicated. And so there was a lot of, a lot of schisms, a lot of, uh, some, a lot of bad ideas, bad theology that people were preaching, mostly just to try to draw a crowd and make money. That's typically how that goes. Um, but the basic idea was they had to come to some understanding. So there was this, there was this incredible thing called the Council of Chalcedon in the 5th century A.D. So, so it was, they were coming together, and the question they were trying to ask is, Okay, who is Jesus really? Like, is he God? Is he man? Is he both? And if he's both, how is he both? Like, is he alternating like a current? You know, it's like some days he's God, some days he's a man. So they asked that question. This is what they came to. There's a whole big thing about it, obviously, and they spent a lot of time thinking about this processing. But this is kind of what they came to. They called it the Chalcedonian definition. And this is what it affirms. That Christ is the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhead, Truly God and truly man at the same time, He is the incarnation of God on earth, but also a human person, right? So here's the thing it's the easiest way to say it is that the miracle of incarnation, God becoming man, God becoming flesh, right? Carne, the miracle of the incarnation is that this one person, Jesus, became everything we are without ceasing to be everything He is. It's the easiest way to understand it. And so once you wrap your head around it, you're like, oh, that's, not too, that's not too hard. Right? I, told, I, can, I can wrap my head around that. But somebody had to wrap their head around it the first time. <laughs> right? And so you, you actually find this in the New Testament. You find that his disciples wrestled with this and came to this conclusion. The church kind of began to lose it after four or five centuries of you know just kind of meandering around and talking too much. And they finally came back to it and settled that, and it's been, and it's been that, the case ever since. Not everybody believes that, of course. Um, you know, there are some groups that don't believe in Jesus' deity. Jehovah's Witnesses are one of them. They insist he's not equal to the Father, and the Scripture teaches that he is. Uh, Muslims, who, they say Jesus was merely a prophet. And a lot of people you talk to who believe in Jesus will say things like, well, he was a good man, he was a prophet, he was a great teacher. And the problem with that is Jesus said, yeah, but I'm God. Right. So the easiest thing to do is just pretend Jesus never said that. Right, because then you have to deal with the implications of well, what does that mean if he was God? Right, because if he was God, uh, that changes pretty much everything. Right, like literally they said, you know what, we're going to start time over again because of Jesus. So that's we do that for anybody else. Nobody, not even Donald Trump. I mean, some people wanted to do that for Donald Trump. But not even for Trump did we start time again, right? So it's pretty intense. So I'm going to give you 11 lines of evidence of Jesus' deity. Now, I'm not going to give you all 11. I'm going to pick a few here and there. Uh, But I'm just going to throw some things out there for you to maybe do some more study. And the reason why is when we get to talking about how God works by his spirit through Jesus, we also don't want to lose at the same time that Jesus is God. Okay? Because the danger is, we say, well, God, if God worked by his spirit through his son, then what about his divinity? Was that in question? Did, you know, did When he died on the cross, did he die as a man? Did he die as God? And the answer is yes, he did. <laughs> right? So here's a couple of them. The Old Testament predicted that the Messiah would be God. So this is simple. Most of these things we know. Um, Isaiah 9 says, For to us a child is born. We'll hear this in, at Christmas time. To us, a son is given, and, and the government will be on his shoulders, right? And then it goes on, it says, he will be called Wonderful Counselor. So Jesus is a great counselor, the Messiah. But then it says, he will be called Mighty God. So a man who came to earth in the Jewish, as the Jewish Messiah, the one they were believing for that's been prophesied all throughout the Old Testament, was going to be a man. And the Old Testament said, he's going to be amazing, but he's going to be God. And so that really messed with the prophets' mindsets. They're like, we don't know how that's going to work. Matthew one we we're going to see the the fulfillment of this in the New Testament. It says, the virgin will conceive. It's a prophecy, again, from Isaiah 7, coming true in Jesus. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. I love the message version, Um, you know, God became a man and moved into your neighborhood. <laughs> I love that. It's so fun. So here's the second when Jesus claimed a heavenly preexistence. He existed in heaven and there somewhere before he existed um, physically here. So you see this in John 6. It says, then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? So he said, I'm going to go up into heaven, but it's not my first time. <laughs> I can tell you about it because I've been there, right? And then John 8, he says, But he continued, you are from below, I'm from above. What was he talking about? Like, did he live in the clouds? It says, you are of this world, I am not of this world. So Jesus is saying, like, I I was there before, and then there's a bunch of other things, John 16, John 17. um, There's just so many places that you see this. Then number three, Jesus assumed divine authority. He said, I'm going to act like God in these arenas. So here's a couple of them. One was the Sabbath. He says, Matthew 12, 8, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man was a a phrase that was used to speak of the Messiah who would be God. And he uses both. He says, I'm the Son of Man, I'm the Messiah, I am God, I am Emmanuel, and also I'm Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, I created the Sabbath, right? There's a bunch of scriptures, Mark 2, Luke 6, he says it again different ways. Then Jesus said, I have authority over the forgiveness of sins. And so, let me give you some context in Mark 2. It says, Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralyzed man, Son's your, Son, your sins are forgiven. So he sees a sick person, and he recognizes all the Pharisees are you know, against him. And so he says on purpose, Son, your sins are forgiven. And so they just said, Well, he's blaspheming because who but God can forgive sins? And then he goes on, verse 10, I'll put it up here. He says, but I want you to know, that the Son of Man, again, that title, again, meaning God, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he turns, he says to the man, right, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he did. (laughs) So that was pretty interesting, like God saying, look, anybody can say they forgive sins, right, because it's just words. Right, and that's why the Bible says that the gospel is not just in words but it's in power too. Why? Because God wants to demonstrate his ability to do what he says he can do and to be who he says he is. There's a bunch of other places, but he he talks about his authority over eternal destinies. Your your eternal destiny has power over. John 5, he says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but it's entrusted all judgment to the Son, the Bema Seat of Christ. We call it the mercy seat as believers because We're not going to be judged. We were judged already. We put our trust and our faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross, and he took away all of our sins. He took away the sins of everyone if they believe. It's not automatic. right? You have to put your faith and your trust that he's the one who can pay for sins, not you yourself. And so because of that, the Bible says that he's, he's going to judge eternal destinies. John 5 talks about it, says he has forgiven him, or he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. See, that phrase keeps coming up, um, especially in John. And then number four, Jesus exercised divine authority over a a few things. And I want you to take notice, because some of these things we're about to talk about, he exercised authority over this, and because of this, it indicated his divinity. But at the same time, he's going to come later on to his disciples and say, this stuff that I've been doing, my expectation... You do it too. <laughs> Anybody nervous yet? <laughs> we're like, we're going we're gonna, to, in a minute, we're just going to, no, I had some dumb things to say. I'm not going to say it. All right, so Jesus exercised divine authority over demons. Mark 125, he says to this demon, be quiet, come out of him, and he came out of him. <laughs> it's pretty simple, right? Mark 3.11, whenever impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. They knew who he was. They were like, please don't talk to me, Jesus, because I have to do anything you say. Has anybody, you don't have to raise your hands, but has anybody ever dealt with the demonic, right? I have. I didn't go looking for it. I, I didn't like it when it was happening. I don't want to do it again. <laughs> but I do it because Jesus said, I'm going to give you authority also over the demons in my name. Like me personally, like, and, and you see this because Paul comes and he says, you know, he, he's casting demons out of people. And, and uh, the seven sons of Skevas, whatever these guys were, they were popular, obviously, everybody knew them. And they said, said to a demon, we adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. So they got it all right, right? They thought they were, the, the answer was words, right? They, that's what they thought. And so then the Bible says, the demon says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, who are you? And then... He strips them naked, you know, cuts them up really bad and sends them on their way. So the seven sons of Sceva were the seven naked sons of Sceva running down the road, you know, crying out and help me, Jesus or Paul, somebody, <laughs> right? So why didn't, why didn't they have power? And the answer was they, they had not believed in Jesus like Paul had believed in Jesus because Jesus said to anybody who believes in me, I'm going to give you power and you're going to do greater things than me. We're going to get that in just a second. But God does this, Jesus does this and shows his authority because Jesus doesn't call on anybody else. He takes authority himself because he's God. But when you and I do it, we don't do it in our name. We don't even do it in Paul's name, great apostle, right? So don't go pray for somebody and say, I adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Dave preaches, right? They're going to go, Jesus I know. Who's Dave again? No. (laughs) But what's going to happen is if you don't know him, they're going to know you don't have his power and his authority. And they're just going to beat the living daylights out of you. So good luck with that. And I've seen people do that, and it's not pretty. But I've also come up against that. I felt something come at me one time in an invisible wall that came at me like it was going to crush me. And I put my arms up. It was so real. And it stopped. I felt the Holy Spirit rise up in front of me like a wall. And that thing hit that, that invisible wall and just, you know, kind of scooted away. And we went and prayed for a guy and he was a little guy, and as we were praying for him, he, he had supernatural strength, and he lifted me off the ground with one arm. He just like, yeah. I'm like, okay, that's different. I've never seen that before, right? And I had another time, there was a guy, weighed 300 pounds. He was one of our deacons. He wasn't, he wasn't overweight. He was muscular. Weighed 300 pounds, sitting on the arm of a, of a 17-year-old teenage homeless boy who was demonized, and this This young man, through the power of the demonic, lifted a guy clean. He lifted him with one hand, laying on the ground, right? And lifted him off the ground like this. I was like, that's interesting. (laughs) Uh, That's bigger than me. I think I better, you know, implore someone who's bigger than me and him to deal with that, right? And that's the whole idea behind Jesus. So Jesus had power over demons. Um, He had power over disease and death. That's why we prayed for healing. That's why Karen is in, with her, Fun Shoes are teaching our kids right now about how to actually pray for healing in people's lives. It, it, it turns out it's actually easy for kids because they don't have all the, you know, the weird intellectual issues that we have as adults. They're just like, okay, um, sure, I'll give that a try. And they pray for people and people are healed. We used to see it all the time up in Northlands when we were in youth ministry. Our young people on Sunday mornings would pray for the sick and people would get healed all the time. It was awesome. So Jesus says, um, Mark th- uh, 1, Simon's mother-in-law, he heals him, Mark 1, um, Mark 140, a man with leprosy, Jesus heals him. What's interesting is Jesus, when he touched someone who's unclean, the unclean didn't jump on him. It's another way that you know you're walking in the power of God, right? People are so afraid if I get around a sinner, you know, somebody who's caught up in something, then I'm going to catch it. <laughs> Do you know that most of like during COVID and during Spanish flu and some of the other huge epidemics that happened across the world, that Christians jumped into the midst of that and prayed for the sick and helped the sick and, and served the sick and didn't get sick themselves. Well, how's that possible? Well, they wore a mask. Well, <laughs> I wore a mask and I still got sick, right? But here's, here's the thing. God rescues us even from those things. But the point is, is they were unafraid to go in there because they said, one, if I die, I have eternity, so I'm, I'm not missing anything here. But more importantly, I can serve people who are broken and hurting and I can bring the goodness of God and the hope and the power to them without the sickness jumping on me necessarily. So he did that a lot. The woman with the issue of blood, we talked about that during worship service. Mark 8, 25, um, Jesus put him, his hands on a man's eyes. And listen to this, he prayed for the man's eyes. And he said, what do you see? And he said, I see men like trees. It was blurry. So what did Jesus do? So that's good enough. I'm good, right? Anybody know the story? No, He prayed, he said, I'm going to pray for you again. So we're like, oh, you know, I prayed for somebody and they were only mildly better. So pray again. (laughs) What happened? You know, if you were really a Christian, every time you touch somebody, well, listen, if Jesus, Jesus was probably the best Christian ever. I'm just saying. And he prayed for a guy twice. So why wouldn't you? When you get to heaven, ask him all your theological questions. Jesus, why? And he's going to tell you and you're going to go, oh, and then what do you care? It's eternity with Jesus, right? (laughs) But in the meantime, just be obedient. So, um, the natural world. You see this? We've talked about this. Luke 8, the disciples went and woke Jesus saying, Master, we're going to drown because of the storm. Remember? (laughs) He got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and everything was calm. Jesus had power over climate. I'm not even going to go there. (laughs) If you're concerned for the climate, I'm just saying, maybe become a Christian because Jesus has power over the climate. I'm going to leave that there. Um, other scriptures, Luke 5, um, he talked to Peter. He says, go fishing. And Peter's like, we tried that. Does it work? He's like, maybe try again because I said. <laughs> and he did. And you guys know the story. Too many fish for them to, they had to bring in new boats. Luke 9, Jesus feeds 5,000 peop- 5, people. He actually tells the disciples, and this is important, because Jesus is about to show them a miracle. He's shown them miracles, and he said, you guys can do this in my name. Right? If you you have faith, you believe in me, if you trust me, then, you know, if you get past your own issues and you you can do this in my name. So they said, you know, all these people are hungry. Jesus said, I I get it, feed them. But Jesus, you don't understand our limitations. Right? Jesus, who made you, (laughs) doesn't understand your limitations. Right? And so he goes and does it himself. He says, no problem, let's do this. He takes what's there. Hands out the, I mean, you guys know the story. And he feeds 5,000 people. We, we knew a missionary who did a conference and uh, they prepared for 100 people. And this conference is, is in the bush and uh, in the jungle. Prepared for 100 people and 500 people showed up. So they had enough food to feed 100 people. And they're like, um, Lord, <laughs> these guys, some of these guys traveled for literally three weeks through the jungle just to get here. And we want to minister to them and we want to feed them. Um, so we're trusting you. And so they, everything, they just put everything in the pot. They just started serving it. 500 people later, there was still food in the pot. And they're like, we don't know. I'm, we're just telling you what happened, <laughs> right? So God still does that today through believers. So um, there's so many others. I'm going to give you the five through 10. Um, Jesus claimed ownership over that which belongs to God, the kingdom, the elect, the angels. Jesus claimed the right to receive worship and the ability to answer Prayer. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. We talked about that, a title with divine implications from the Old Testament. Jesus called himself the Son of God. We've talked about that, a title his opponents understood as a claim to godhood and deity. Jesus called himself I Am. Listen to scripture. You've heard this. Um, John 8, 58. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I Am. Like Jesus, you don't understand grammar. Past tense, present tense. Jesus is like, "You don't understand eternity. Your grammar needs to submit to me, right? So anyway. <laughs> Before Abraham was, I, I was born I was. Jesus claimed absolute unity with the Father, so much so that he told his disciples, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." That's a big deal, right? And then lastly, number 11, the New, New Testament throughout the New Testament affirms Jesus as God. There's a, so many scriptures, I can't read them all, but let's, let me just give you three. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's John, his disciple, saying, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is God. <laughs> Colossians 2.9, for in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead or deity lives in bodily form in Jesus. All of, all of the fullness of God. Philippians 2.6, Who being in very nature God, that's a very important phrase, in very nature God. It's a very important phrase in the original language. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, he laid down his divine attributes in so many ways, and yet he still did the miraculous and walked in power. So the question is, how did he do that, right? There's so many other scriptures, um, I can't even begin to ask, but if you want to see a list of them, I've got a ton of them here. So just let's explore that one scripture and read it a little bit more and answer the question from the scriptures, how did Jesus actually perform his miracles? So Philippians 2, 5 says, In your relationships with one another, this is Paul preaching to the church, Philippian church. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now this is interesting, I don't know if you ever noticed this. But when the Bible does something, it doesn't do it arbitrarily. So if you notice, it doesn't say, um, in your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Jesus Christ. Because everybody thinks Christ is Jesus' last name. (laughs) Right? Because of our culture. It wasn't. It was a title. Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God, Emmanuel. This is who he was. And if you notice, he put it in front of his surname Jesus, which also means Savior. Right? So everything about Jesus' identity was on purpose, and so is yours. Keep that in mind. Because the enemy almost always comes after our identity, our identity. So he goes on, he says, What I read before, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But listen, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. So you notice he said, in very nature God. And now he says he takes the nature of a servant. That was what the Chalcedon definition was all about. They said, was he God or was he man? And the answer was, in very nature, he was both at the same time. And it is a mystery. We don't know how. Hypostatic union is the phrase we use in theology for that because we don't clearly understand all of it. But we said this before. I don't have to completely understand God to completely apprehend God. Just keep that in mind, right? So he goes on. He says by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So he said, I'm going to humble myself as a man, and here's why this is one of the reasons why this is so important because if Jesus came as God and was able to withstand all the temptation, obey all of the law and die having never sinned, which is true of who Jesus was, if he did that by his diva- divine nature, he cheated and there is no hope for you. Does that make sense? Because that's pretty important to your salvation, right? So he, in, na- he, in nature, he became like you. He endured temptation more than you because you endured it until you gave in. He endured it 100% and never gave in to the temptation. In his human nature, he was fully obedient to God, to the Father, all the way to the cross. And he said in the garden, Lord, if there's any other way to do this, i really not want to go to the cross. He said that three times, pretty important. And he ended with, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is a model of what it means to be a believer. I love your opinion. I like mine more <laughs> But neither one of them matter. Don't care what you think. Really, I honestly don't care what you think, because I don't care what I think. What I I care about is what has God said, and are we going to be obedient to it? That's the only question. Now, we can have some conversations around the interpretation of what you think God said. That's fine. But he wrote a whole book so that we could work out the interpretation of it, right? We don't have to wonder. So here's the thing. He goes on. He says, Because he did this, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Thank God Rodney sang that song this morning, the name of Jesus. It's above every name. He says that at the name of Jesus, one day. So right now, we we talk about everybody has free will. You have free will. You can decide whether you want to serve God. You can decide whether you want to believe God. You decide that. That's your decision now. But it's not really free will. It's borrowed. It's borrowed. Your free will was delegated to you by the one who gave you the ability to have free will. Because one day, it's what he said whether you like it or not, every demon in hell, every atheist, every powerful person who, who threw their fist up at God, every one of them, it's what it says. He exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name, Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The devil himself is bowing, right? And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you can bow now in mercy, or you can bow then in judgment, but you're going to bow. Is that heavy? That felt a little heavy. (laughs) Sometimes truth is heavy, right? So you can push back against the truth, or you can... Pursue it, discover whether it is true, and then submit to it. Because what Jesus' model was, you might not like the truth, because I'm going to challenge you about Because one of the things he'll say is, hey, I, you can do this. You're like, I, Lord, you, if you knew me. <laughs> you ever say that to Jesus? Lord, if you knew me. What a dumb thing to say to God, right? But we say stuff like that all the time. He does know you. And he says, I have given you. I'm, I have given you life. And, and, and more abundantly, I'm all about making sure that everything you need, is, and he even said it, everything you need for life and godliness, I've already given you in Christ Jesus, right? So Jesus said, he emptied himself, he humbled himself, he became obedient. So listen, this is important. During his earthly ministry, Jesus retained his full divine nature. He never lost it, he never gave it up in, in one sense, but he did not exercise the apt attributes, unique to the nature in his humanity. Here's an example. Jesus was fully God, but he did not become omnipresent in his physical body. So God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. He's omniscient. That means he knows everything all the time. He's outside of time. But in Jesus, he became a man and, and submitted himself and positioned himself in time. He came from outside of time and came into time. And the Bible says, for such a time as this, he was born of a woman, he was born of a virgin, he was born according to Scripture to do what he came to do. And he's the only one who had the divine nature and the human nature to lay his life down for the sins of all humanity. Adam was the first man who was given one thing to do, one command to obey, and he blew it. First day, he gets the command and he blew it. Jesus has all of them and he submits to it in the midst of religious fervor to destroy him and the demonic attack against him and he stands true and he submits in obedience and because of that he made a way for you and I. Adam was the first Adam. Jesus is called the second Adam. Why? Because he did obey. One of them cried in a garden because he sinned. One of them cried in a garden because he was taking his sin on. All right? It's a big deal. So now, the rest of this sermon, by the way, won't take that long, I promise. <laughs> I'm building a really deep foundation on purpose because the things we say next, if I hadn't done this, you would, I promise you'd walk out of here confused. So one question that the doctrine of the hypostatic union, that God was fully God and fully man, introduces is this. When Jesus performed his miracles, was he operating out of his divinity or his humanity? Was he operating out of his godhood or the emptied humble part, right? And you need to answer this question. So I'm going to show you from Scripture. It won't take long. It's just a few Scriptures, a bunch of them. But I'm going to just give you a few. That Jesus performed his miracles from that humbled, laid-down part, the humanity part. So he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to see this. So let me show you Acts 10, 38. So this is what the Bible says about Jesus. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, important, and with power, and then he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. How many? It's an interesting word. All who were oppressed by the devil. Why? Because he was God. That's not what it says. It says, for God was with him. Super important scripture, because here's the implications. Peter says that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, with the power, that he received from God, from the Holy Spirit. In his divine nature, Jesus didn't need any power. He had it all. He was God. But he chose to, to submit that and lay that down and put it aside and operate by the Holy Spirit on earth. Why? Because he was modeling for you and I what the first Adam should have done walked with God in the cool of the day, was in intimate relationship with God, and then was submitted to the kingdom of God. He's, God came and said, I'm gonna put you in a garden. I want you to do something with it. I don't want you to just you know, sit up on the angels like naked babies with wings and fly around. That's not heaven. That's not being with God. God has purpose in our lives, right? And so he says to, 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 to Adam, this is, I'm gonna, I want to put you in a garden. You're gonna keep it. You're gonna landscape. You're gonna garden in a garden, right? You're gonna work. You're gonna do something. And so he goes on, uh, we we talk about this, he received power from the Holy Spirit, and he says the next sentence that says that uh, Jesus did works because God was with him. That is such a powerful statement, because if you don't understand this, you read Jesus, and you see him do the things he did, and you say, boy, that's nice, Jesus, I'm glad you did that. But then there's no implication to you and I that we ought to walk in any of that power. right? There's a famous, famous theologian named Abraham typer. He happened to be the prime minister of the Netherlands and a theologian and a journalist. He was a pretty impressive guy. Something he said in a book he, he wrote called The Work of the Holy Spirit. This is back in the early part of the 20th century. He said, the Holy Spirit endowed Christ's human nature with the glorious gifts, powers, and faculties of which that nature is susceptible. He goes on regarding John. And John, he talked about, it. he said, he lacked nothing yet possessed all, not by virtue of his divine nature, which cannot receive anything. Think about what, is, what, is, what are you going to give God? Right? So he can't receive anything by nature of him being God, but he says, which cannot receive anything, but being the eternal fullness itself, but by virtue of his human nature, which was endowed with such glorious gifts by the Holy Spirit. So what, what is he saying? Brilliant theologian, he said, that Jesus operated not from his divine nature doing miracles and signs and wonders, but he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit living in him by faith, by believing that God said it, and walking in the supernatural in the same way that you and I are supposed to do. (laughs) Like, I can't be like Jesus. Yeah, you can, actually. It's kind of the point, right? Not just in your salvation, but in the mission that we have. So Matthew 12, 27, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out, Jesus said, so then they will be your judges. But listen, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He said the kingdom is invading and people of the kingdom will do these kinds of works. He said, I'm not driving them out by my divine nature. They would look at Jesus and say, you are the Son of God. And he's like, yep. But that's not how I'm driving you out of this, this person. I'm driving you out by the power of the Holy Spirit in the same way that any one of us can do. Walking in the same power. The same Spirit, the Bible says, that raised Christ from the, dwe- the dead dwells in your mortal, carnate, fleshly body. But we've not been told this. So we walk in a substandard version of the gospel and a powerless generation. Matthew 10, uh, sorry, 10, 7 and 8 says, As you go, this is him, Jesus, talking to the disciples. He says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near you. See that? Same thing. The kingdom of God is invading. right? Jesus said, It's, it's close. When he, comes, when he goes to the cross, it's fully invaded. Now, Jesus is going to go away. We're going to talk about it in a second. And the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to live inside of every single one of you. And the works that he did through Jesus he's going to do through you if you're willing and if you walk by faith. So he goes on, he says, the kingdom of heaven has come. So now this is what you need to do. Heal the sick, not pray for the sick. Heal them. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely you have received. In other words, I've given you this now through the power of the Holy Spirit. You have received it freely. You didn't do anything to earn it. It's a gift, right? Now, because of that, You freely give. Take what I'm doing through my spirit and you inseminate that throughout the entire world, right? So here's the thing. You see this throughout the book of Acts. God moving, not just, you don't just see God moving in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit to you and then you're going to do the same things I did. And he goes on. Peter healed the lame man in Acts 3. Um, He healed all kinds of people from various cities in Acts 5. Prison doors were open, Philip did great miracles, Ananias healed Saul's blindness, Cornelius saw an angel, he and his family spoke in tongues and languages they did not learn. Acts chapter 2, the same thing happened. Um, Peter sees a vision on the roof, something he could not know, God drops it into his spirit by his spirit, and he knows things that he could not know in, in, in the human natural way. Paul blinded somebody's eyes. Paul performed miracles all over the place. He healed a crippled man. He healed a woman possessed by an evil spirit. In Ephesus, 12 men spoke in tongues, languages they did not learn. It was given as a gift. In Troas, Paul raised Eutychus from the dead. And it goes on and on and on and on, right? And it starts with, these are the things that Jesus began both to teach and to do. And the expectation is, You and I, because we've received his spirit now, get to carry that on. So we are called to do the works that Jesus did. In John 14, 12, this is what it says. Truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater works. And so you get this idea, because we've been taught humility, that humility is, you know, Jesus, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. Anybody ever heard that one? Anybody ever said it? Anybody ever prayed it? Yeah, we're all guilty, right? Except for that was just John the Baptist, but it makes for a really good sermon, right? You should stop being so proud and arrogant, you dang heathen. (laughs) Just a sinner saved by grace. And all this, it sounds so religious and so spiritual, except it's a lie from the enemy. So what does that mean? Listen, if you're proud and arrogant, you don't understand who God is. So you stand up as big as you can, just stand next to Jesus when you do it, and your pride will be dealt with, I promise. It's not a problem. God has no problem with helping you with your pride, right? And what we find, though, is that Jesus humbled himself, and if he modeled that, I humble myself. But what am I humbling myself to? That I become less in Jesus? So I'll just say, you know, Jesus, just, I just want to be your hands and feet. And again, I get all those things. They're awesome. But it, if we're not careful, the theology of it begins to cloud our mind to the point where we say, oh, Jesus, you do all the work in the world, Right? And I'll just humbly love you and worship you. And then meanwhile, cry and whine and complain about politics and sickness and all the bad things in the world. And Jesus is like, why do you think you're there? Now, he doesn't say that. I say that because I'm mad. (laughs) Right? I'm irritated. And I was irritated with me, I promise. Long before I was irritated with anybody else. I hear God saying, why do you think I put my spirit in you? You are the answer to the brokenness in the world. We want to be, we want to be a thermometer where we just, whatever the temperature of the world is, we just succumb to that. And Jesus says, why are you being a thermometer when I called you to be a thermostat? You change the temperature when you go in the room. I'm sick. Okay, I'll pray for you to be healed. I'm gonna, I'm, I want to heal you. I want to move from praying for healing to healing you. And the more I do that, here's the thing I've discovered, the more I do that, The more I see of it. But if I buy into the lie, well, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't want to heal everybody. Jesus doesn't heal everybody. You know, not everybody's going to get healed if you pray for them. And I look at, you know, there's an old story where the guy, after a hurricane, he's on the beach throwing starfish back, and some arrogant guy looks down from above and says, What are you doing? That's not going to matter. There are thousands, millions of starfish on the beach. They're going to die. It's not going to matter. And he holds up one starfish and goes, It's going to matter to him, and throws him back in the ocean. It's local. We are a local church. I don't have your sphere of influence. You do. Jesus has your sphere of influence because he lives inside of you at your workplace, at your school, at your job, in your community, in politics, in all the seven mountains of influence. God said, I want you to come and subdue the earth, to make the earth in its brokenness submit to the kingdom of heaven. The prayer of the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus says, on earth, how? As it is in heaven. Don't try to make earth like heaven. I mean, don't try to make heaven like earth. Try to make earth like heaven. And how do you do that? You walk in the power of God. You pray over people. And this is what I've discovered. When I lean out, I'll look at some, sometimes I pray, you like, wonder, why do I do some of the things I do? Let me tell you how, what goes on in my head some days. I'll look out and we'll be praying for people. The presence of God is moving, right? Manifest presence of God. And I'll look out and I'll see somebody and I'll hear, I'll feel in my spirit, God say, go pray for them. And I'm like, what for? Nothing, just crickets. And I'm like, God, you know, if you were, if you were cool, <laughs> you would go ahead and tell me so I could control this thing. And God's like, that's kind of the point, Dave, I'm, why well, I'm not gonna tell you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And if I go pray for them, I start to pray for them. I see pictures, I hear phrases, scriptures pop into my head. Where does that come from, do you think? Heaven coming to earth on their behalf. Now, it's up to, sometimes it's up to other people to receive that, and that's fine. I would love that everybody I prayed for was healed. I'd love that everybody I, I spoke truth to heard truth and quit walking in a lie. But it's not going to happen because people have to make some decisions for themselves. Let me wrap it up with this. There's so many things, Scripture, the last one really is Romans 15, 17. Paul gives an indication. Again, because I'm proving Jesus did this in in the power of the Spirit, and we're called to do the same. He says, this is why this is the easy-to-read version. It's a paraphrase, but it's helpful. Romans 15, 17. He says, that is why I feel so good about what I've done for God in my service to Christ Jesus. I will not talk about anything I did myself. Isn't that interesting? It's not about me. I will talk only about what Christ has done with me. The work that I've submitted to. Jesus, what are you doing? Remember, Paul's on his journey. He's heading to Mysia, and the Holy Spirit interrupts him and said, I forbid you to go there. I don't find anywhere where the Holy Spirit told him why. He just said, I don't want you to go there. And he said, I don't know what to do. So he just starts praying, fasting. The Bible said in the night. A man from Macedonia appears to him and says, come over here and help us. And I love this scripture. The Bible says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us that he wanted us to go to Macedonia. I'm like, you think? After that dream, Paul, you think? That's what God was saying, right? I'm sarcastic. I can't help myself. (laughs) I just try not to move into cynicism. But here's the thing. If we submit to what God is doing, what we discover is he really does have an agenda, and his agenda is always good. But let me say this. His agenda is always on the other side of risk. And some of you guys are so risk averse. Like you, I'm like, I'm not even investing in a savings account. That's how I'm, I hide it under my mattress. <laughs> and you got to move away from that and go, listen, what my personal desire is, what Paul's personal desire is, put it aside. I'm not naturally bold. Don't care. Jesus said, be bold. I'm naturally bold. Okay, then it's easy for you. <laughs> right? He goes on, he says, I'll talk only about what Christ has done with me in leading the Gentile people to obey God. They Listen, they have obeyed him through me because of what I said and did. Not just what I said. I didn't just come and preach the gospel and that was good. It wasn't just words. Listen, because he goes on, he says, Verse 19, and they obeyed him, Jesus, because of the power of the miraculous signs and wonders that happened, all because of the power of God's Spirit. So Paul said, if you want, if you want to really see, see God move, you're going to have to submit to his way of doing things. And you're going to have to lean in to risk. So you're going to be sitting somewhere. Maybe this happens today. I hope it happens to some of us today. You're sitting at lunch. And the waitress walks up or the waiter walks up and something inside you kind of bubbles up and you you hear God say or you feel or you sense or whatever words you use. Uh, I should pray for them, but I don't know what to pray for. And you'll find about a thousand excuses. It's lunchtime. They're super busy. They're probably not even Christians. You know, I'm going to look stupid. It's going to bring shame to the name of Jesus when nothing happens. And I'm like, are, are you just... Talking for the devil now, or like do you even Do you even need his help to doubt God? <laughs> or you could say, just simple. You don't have to be weird. I mean, you're gonna be weird, but you don't have to be weird for weird sake. Just go, hey, listen, you know, when you were serving us a minute ago, I, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, and I felt like God said I should pray for you. Would you be okay with that? And they're gonna go, Yeah. So don't take forever. They got other tables to wait on, right? Don't be stupid. But listen for what God's saying in that moment. And when you do, I've had this happen so many times. There are moments where you look them in the eye and say, this is what God is saying to you. Does it matter where they are in their walk with God? The moment the power of God breaks through, God becomes real again in their life. If he never has before, maybe it's the first time. And God moved in power in their life. Why? Because of you submitting to the will of God and being obedient and stepping out of faith, taking a risk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me just give you three things. What can you do from this message? I know I've gone a little bit long. It's 50 minutes in. It takes a while to develop some of this. I'm sorry. If you want shorter messages, go online. (laughs) Again, that was cynicism. I apologize. It was supposed to be sarcasm. It moved too far. So three things you can do. Don't excuse powerless living. Quit lying to yourself, because here's the thing. The number one reason people resist the ministry of the Holy Spirit is because it exposes the lack of power in their lives, and once exposed, it demands change. That's why people don't like the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I think speaking in tongues of the devil, well, that's convenient for you, isn't it? Because if you thought something different, you might have to do it. That's good preaching, Dave. Thank you. I appreciate that. So take responsibility and learn. Grow in the moving of God's Spirit. Read the Gospel with these truths in mind. Read the Scripture with these truths in mind. Get past whatever Bible college taught you or whatever your, your, your first church taught you. If it's against God's Word, doesn't matter how religious they were or how nice they were or how, if they even led you to salvation. doesn't mean they got it all right. Peter goes to Galatian to the Galatian church, And Paul has to rebuke him to his face because he was to be blamed because he was bringing people into legalism. This is Peter, the only other person besides Jesus that we know of, who walked on water. And literally, Paul didn't even take him aside. He's like, this is so stupid and wrong, I will rebuke you openly for everybody to see because you are a knothead and in need of. That's Dave Hale's paraphrase, but it's true. And he did. And Peter submitted and said, my bad. This is the first pope, people. You got it wrong. You can too. Your pastor might have. I might have. It's why you have a Bible for yourself and why you have a relationship with God yourself. He will confirm these things for you. Don't limit God in you. Don't excuse your powerless living. Don't excuse it. And then don't limit God in you. Don't accept a limited ministry of the Holy Spirit where he is only your comforter and your counselor. But deny His miraculous power in your life. Don't do that. Don't be one of those Christians. It's nice for you, and it's horrible for the world because you're powerless. And so all it is, it's like it's, it's the most selfish version of Christianity. Jesus, I'm so glad you broke through in my life and rescued me and helped me, but I'm not going to take a risk to reach out and in faith, trust, and pray for somebody else or minister to somebody else or... I'm just not going to do it. So don't limit God in you. And lastly, I said this before, grow in your understanding of the power of God. Grow in desire. Because this is what Paul wrote the Corinthian church, who were already moving in gifts, they were just doing them wrong. He said to them, there are varieties of gifts, all kinds of things the Holy Spirit does. One spirit, he's the same spirit. You can trust him. And then lastly, he says, 1 Corinthians 12, covet earnestly the best gifts Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14:1 desire spiritual gifts. Do you desire the spiritual gifts in your life? So here's the thing as a close, I want you to be really really honest. If you say, you know what? I don't actually. I just want to ask you are you okay with that? Are you okay with a powerless gospel? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that for us as a church. This is a hill I'm going to die on. This is a hill I'm going to live on, actually. <laughs> and we're going to see God do. We already have. We're going to see God break through in power. But listen, um, God never designed you know, the elders or the pastors or the deacons to do all the work. He said, you do the work of the ministry. You, every single believer, is a priest in and of themselves to the Lord. He doesn't need your pastor to come talk to you. He doesn't. You, you have the same Bible I have. And he desires of you to walk in supernatural power. You don't have to understand it all. You're probably going to get some of it wrong. I have. But in the midst, what I've discovered is when I've submitted to this, I've seen God break through in such power that has literally rescued people. It's saved people's lives. I'm going to leave you with one story. And, and, and it's going to be hard for you to wrap your head around. I promise you it's going to be hard for you to believe. That's okay. I'm doing that on purpose. In Tyler, Texas, we were doing an outreach. Um, it was downtown Tyler, Texas, right in the, so imagine downtown Dothan. It was like where the courthouse is. There was a big building that used to be a church that the Boys and Girls Club and a bunch of other nonprofits was using. We used it as an auditorium to do outreach for gang kids and street kids. And it was, we had 300 people that night. The previous night, I had been at a youth conference in Longview, Texas, and now we were back in Tyler, Texas with this event we had planned for a long time for youth an outreach event. When I was in Longview, it was a big youth conference, probably a 1,000 teenagers in there, and they were praying for people, and up at the front, there was a teenage boy, 17 maybe, looked homeless. <laughs> Sometimes they look homeless when they're not. He was actually homeless, turns out. Uh, they start praying for him. He gets, shares a testimony of his encounter with Jesus, and it feels off. Uh, and when he's talking, it feels like he's just using words, but it's not true. And so I could feel that. It's like, that's weird. So spiritual discernment, you know, I was going off. And he, he, uh, they pray for him. He comes down the front. They pray over him. He falls out in the spirit. That freaked most of the guys out in the room because they didn't know anything about falling out or the spirit, I think. So he, he's laying on the floor, and then his girlfriend falls out, some, the girl he'd come there with. And they're laying on the floor, kind of writhing a little bit, only it's not the spirit of God. It's a spirit, but it's not the spirit of God. And I feel that instantly, and I go, oh, I'm mad. Not not because he's doing it. He's just being used. I'm angry because the, the, the leaders who are supposed to be the leaders of God's people are watching something demonic going on, and they don't even have a clue. Now, I, I'm, you know, I might have prejudged them. Maybe they figured it out later. I don't know. Maybe it was brand new. But for me, I was like, Lord, and I said, Lord, if, if you want, this little bit of, I was, you know, 20-something years old, so imagine Dave at 20, as bad as I am now. Imagine me when I was my 20s. God, I will go up there, and I will deal with that. <laughs> What I meant was, God, I will go up there and you will deal with that. <laughs> but I was, I was anxious. I'm like, this, this grinds me. So I was going to go up there and cast that demon out. We're going to be done. And the Lord said, no, I got this. I was like, okay. So I just stood back and watched. And it, they writhed around the floor. She reached out and she was touching him sensually. It was sick. It was really, ugh, right? And so it just, uh, I didn't like it. And eventually it just kind of, they stopped and it kind of got glossed over. And then the thing ended. So I was mad. Go into the next night. We're doing this outreach. 300 kids show up. We had busloads of people, young people, showed up from Dallas, Texas. We were in Tyler. That's two hours away. We're like, what in the whole world? So it was awesome. Preaching the gospel. Get to the point where we give the altar call. Tons of kids are coming up, giving their life to Jesus. This one kid shows up on the right-hand side. We're praying over people. There's a bunch of pastors who are joining me and helping me from various churches, and we're praying on this people. And this kid from the night before walks up. So I walk over to him. Nobody's praying with him, so I walk over to him. And I walk up to him, and I said, hey, man, I said, I saw you last night at the, at the conference. How can I pray for you? He's like, oh, you know, just the normal stuff. I said, okay, <laughs> let's try the normal stuff. <laughs> so I put, so I put my, head on his, I'm my hand on his forehead. And for whatever, I've never done this before, never done it since. I put my other hand on the back of his neck. Like if, you, if I prayed for you like that, you'd be like, what are you doing, man? That's weird, right? I get it. I thought it was weird too. But I put my hand on his forehead. I put my other hand on his neck. And I began to pray for him. And I said, I said, Lord, do what only you can do. And he started getting super agitated. And then I leaned into his ear and I said to him, listen, what happened last night, you and I, and God knows it was a lie. But if you want the real thing, he's here, and he wants to break in in your life and rescue you and set you free. But you cannot come on your terms. You have to come on his. And I thought that was going to be the end of the prayer, and I was going to be done. And he opened his eyes. When I leaned back, he opened his eyes, and he says, I want that. And he starts crying. So I start praying, God, break in on this kid's life. The next thing that happened... Became a blur. <laughs> I told you this going to be hard to believe. So either I'm lying or this happened. So just deal with it. The next thing I know, I'm holding his head and I'm holding his arms and he starts trying to choke me. So he's fighting me, but he can't get loose like I'm st- he's stuck. He's fighting me. He's trying to reach in to choke. And it just so happened that the way I had him like this, he couldn't get his arms around my neck to choke me. I thought that was a, that was a ninja move from the Holy Spirit, Right? <laughs> I just tell you how my brain works. Sometimes praying for him, and then his feet came off the ground and he went up sideways like this and levitated about three feet off the ground. While I had, I'm holding his head here and his neck here, and the rest of his body is here. And my brain was not prepared to handle that, so I didn't believe it. And I kept looking at it and looking at him. Okay, this is happening, right? And then I looked over, and there was several people over here that was looking at this, and their mouths were on the floor. They had not seen that before either. And I'm like, okay, we're, we're in a different realm now. So I'm praying, God, I don't know what to do. Help me. And I pray, and eventually we get him to the ground. It took six guys to push him to the ground. We moved him over to the side, laid him on the ground. And while I'm praying for him, this I hear the Holy Spirit in my head say, you're losing the service. I'm like, Do you not see what is going on? I'm having an argument with, do you not see what I see right here? And all the Holy Spirit says, you're losing the service. And I looked up, and all these people who had seen that are freaking out. Some of them tried to run and they couldn't get out the door, and they just, they're like, I don't know what to do. We didn't lock it, they just couldn't get out the door. And they're freaking out. Some of them are praying, some of them are screaming. It was pandemonium. And so I'm like, Lord, what do I do? And He says to me a scripture. I go up on the platform and I get my Bible. And I'm, I love my Bible, but I did not know what that scripture said. I'd like to tell you I did. I did not. And he said, I want you to read this out loud. And so I get the microphone, and I start reading it out loud. And it was a story of the man who brought his son to Jesus to have the demon cast out of him. And he would roll into the fire sometimes, and he would roll in the water. In other words, the demon would get hold of his life. Some of you guys can identify this. And he would try to destroy you. Addiction will do this. It's demonic. Lies identity, cha- whatever it is, whatever you're dealing with. And, and as I read it, the Bible said in one place he was foaming at the mouth. And when I said that, what I would say out loud, this kid would do. And so I'm living, this is the passage in Mark, I think it was, I'm living it out. While I'm reading it, this is happening. And the Lord said, I didn't come here for the, for the devil to steal the salvation and the power from all these kids. So you let me deal with that. You call these people to repent and come to know Jesus and receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I did that, and I kid you not, 300 people came to the front and started crying and weeping. Some of them fell down. God was, some of them were wailing and bowing. And doing, I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff was happening. But it was the power of God moving in their life. Um, we were part of a Pentecostal movement at that time. Half of the kids in the room were from a Baptist church, a mega Baptist Church in Dallas, and half of those kids spoke in tongues. So I went to their youth pastor and said, I am so sorry, good luck. (laughs) What what are you going to do? I'm not going to deny it. He couldn't either because he saw that kid. So that happened, and then about, I don't know, a year later, we moved and were helping plant a church in Longview, Texas and I was telling the story, we're talking about the power of God, and I was telling the story. In the back of my mind, I hear my own mind say, that didn't really happen, that's crazy. Are you nuts? People don't just, they don't levitate. That was magic, every excuse. And in the middle of this, I'm literally doubting it. And I said to myself, I, I'm, true story, I will never tell this story again. That's what I said. Because I'm not even sure if it really happened. And over here to one side, there was a young man who happened to be part of our youth ministry when we were in Texas, who happened to be traveling through, just happened all circum you know, just happenstance, showed up on that Wednesday night for that youth meeting, came in, heard the message, was hearing me share this, and I was sharing this story. and I'm doubting it in my heart, this kid's name's Josh Miner. His dad was a pastor who was one of the guys who helped push the guy to the ground, right? So I'm telling the story. I'm doubting it in my own heart. And Joshua stands up and he goes, hey, everybody, I was there. And I saw that kid levitate. That really happened. And God is awesome and he's powerful. Dave's not lying. Do whatever he says. And I was like, <laughs> I got saved all over again. Listen, I'm, I'm just saying all that to say this. Listen, God wants to move in power. But doubt and unbelief is so powerful in our modern church, even in ours, that it's constantly pushing back. And if you and I are not intentional, Jesus is the power and the wisdom of God. There's some crazy things that God's going to do in our midst. But he will do it if we're open. Jesus is both the power of God, but he's also the wisdom of God. He will help us navigate through this. And as leaders, we have conversations about this all the time. And this is what we say. And I'm going to pray for us. We say this, if the Holy Spirit wants to come and do weird things, we're okay with that. Can we just personally, can we have a mature response to what the Holy Spirit is doing? Because that is the wisdom you see in Jesus. He always had a mature response. Paul speaks to the Corinthian church where he tells them that Christ is the wisdom and the power of God. And he says to them, you're doing it wrong. Don't stop doing it. Just do it the way Jesus did it. Right? He's saying Jesus is the wisdom that can walk in this power without all the missteps that we make, that you have made, that you've made a mess, because you're doing crazy things that even the world doesn't do, and you call yourselves Christians. Right? So I just want to challenge us. We said this as elders. We are going to take risks. But we're also going to evaluate this, and we're going to have conversations with the team afterwards and go, well, that was weird. (laughs) What do you think about that? What were the results? Who benefits? It's a Latin phrase. Good for politics, but it's also good for Christianity. Who benefits when this happened? What, did someone make a big display in the spirit, and all the attention went to them, and it became about them? Or did Jesus? Was Jesus preeminent? Did we glorify and honor God, which is what Paul said we do when we walk in the power of the Spirit, and were people broken free from strongholds, addictions, fear, all the things that the enemy wants to hold us in bondage to, poverty? every evil thing. Jesus came to break the power of the enemy, and he called you and I to do the same. So I want to end by praying for us, but at the same time, if you need, we did this at the beginning in worship, but now you've heard a whole sermon about it, and I apologize for going long, but it's important. We're going to make room for you, and our leaders are going to come up, and they're going to trust God for breakthrough in your life. Words of knowledge and just the power of God to break through. If you want that this morning in your life, as other people are headed out for lunch, would you just make your way to the front and let us minister to you in the power of the Holy Spirit? And then I want to challenge you guys, if you feel like you're there, would you lean in? Would you say, Lord, I want to grow in more power, I want to walk in more accurate words of knowledge. I want to see people healed where I haven't seen them healed. Would you get desperate and say, God, I am not okay with a powerless gospel. I want to see you move in power. I want to see you demonstrate who you are in people's lives so people who are lost and broken can come and they can find you. And they can find eternity with you. They're no longer lost. They're found. Jesus said when that happens, all of heaven rejoices. So as some others are going that way, would you come and let us pray for you? Maybe you're just ready to lean into more of the Holy Spirit and say, God, I'm ready. I want more of you. And then be okay to God moving in power in your, in your physical body right now. So I just want to pray for us and trust that the Lord is going to do these things. So Jesus, we come. Lord, we don't have music playing in the background. Um, Lord, we're not doing any of that. Lord, we're just asking that you would move in power. Lord, all across this room, Lord, you have people who are in need. And Jesus, you are the only one who can meet that need. Lord, we are... Some of us in bondage to fear and addiction and brokenness in so many ways. And Jesus, you want to break in. You want to break through. You want to break up the fallow ground. You want to break up the strongholds of the enemies, Lord. You want to release people from fear. You want to release them from darkness, Lord. You want to release them from addiction. You want to bring them into the freedom that your dear son gives. And so, Jesus, we welcome you at DCF, at Dothan Christian Fellowship. Lord, we receive you for who you are, not who we wish you were. And we say, God, move in power amongst your people. Break out. Lord, set people free, we pray. And so, Lord, now as we just, we release everyone here, Lord, back into the world we all live in, Lord, that we wouldn't walk away and say that you only live here, but we would remember, Lord, that you live inside of us, Lord, and everywhere we go where there are broken people, you want to break out on their behalf, but you want to use me to do it. Lord, would I be willing to take a chance and take a risk and lean into the things of the Spirit, Lord? And maybe, I'm, maybe I look weird, maybe people think things about me, but Lord, I just at this point, I just don't care anymore. I want to see you move in power. So Lord, would you do that among your people here at DCF and in the churches all over our city, Lord, would you do that? Would you break out in power? Lord, and set people free from the bondage of the enemy. Jesus said, you said you came to set the captives free. Heal blinded eyes, Lord. So would you do that amongst your people? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, we would love, again, our leaders will be up here. We'd love to pray for you guys. Lay hands on you. Believe God for great things. If not, have a wonderful, wonderful week, and we'll see you next Sunday.